Ride the Learning Curve podcast. Your host is Subramani, your producer, Spruce Up. This week's guest is a software engineer, an author, and someone who has paid a lot of attention to caregiving for the elders. In fact, he has written a book, which is probably the only handbook and a manual on how to take care of the elderly, especially those who are aging and bedridden. It is a book that is described by none other than Gopal Krishna Gandhi as something written in the margin of science and scriptures. Sanjay Dattatri is joining us. How did the idea of writing a book come about first? See, uh, when about, about 10 years ago, my mother uh, fell sick. And uh, at that time, we, we went to a lot of different doctors because there wasn't a single multidisciplinary team in uh, one hospital that could take care of all her needs. And so uh, largely she was at home, but we used to take her to different doctors and none of them could actually uh, help us out in terms of how to look after her at home. And because she lost her ability to communicate, she wasn't able to tell us also about whether she was comfortable or not. So we, we really struggled a lot in the beginning before we gradually learned the art of uh, caregiving. So at that time, I felt that since there was nobody to guide us, at least we should use the experience we have gained in some tangible way that will help other people who are in a similar position as we were at that time. So uh, that's how I joined a friend of mine who had started the oldest gold store, uh, which is a specialty store for senior citizens to uh, run the store. And there I met a lot of people who were family caregivers, you know, elders who were looking after people who were older than them. So we've seen people who are in their 70s looking after their uh, parents who are in their 90s, for example. Yeah. So we gained a lot of insight. And all that was somehow getting assembled in my head. And when the pandemic happened and I was sitting at home, I thought it was time to put down whatever I, I could think of. So I, I actually wrote a table of contents first saying I'll cover all this. And then every day I would sit and write about 2000 words and uh, on each of those topics. So then uh, slowly the book took shape and uh, yeah, and I'm happy that uh, uh, Penguin published it. I wasn't 100% sure any trade publisher will actually look at this topic as an interesting topic for publishing, but they were very enthusiastic about it. And that gave me a lot of encouragement as well. And so we finished it in quick time. So from right. the time I started writing it to the time it got published was uh, less than about uh, 18 months. Caregiving is a very thankless job, especially you know if you have to care for the elderly. You mentioned it yourself in the books. What is the one motivation that should uh, be there when it comes to caregiving? 
the the motivation we had was that we were a very uh, close knit family and uh, both my parents were always full of energy and were constantly uh, getting involved in all kinds of activities irrespective of their age so even uh, even in her 60s and 70s my mother was always learning uh, new art forms uh, new ways of painting new techniques uh, she was cooking up a storm in the kitchen so it, they were both full of life and so to see them especially my mother to see her bedridden uh, was very heart rending for us and the only thing we could do was to look after her so i'll say the primary motivation is love for your parents and your dear ones then come in other aspects your duty you know it is a time to reciprocate they brought you up they uh, they uh, given you everything in life uh, they have gone through hardships they have protected you from uh, they have insulated you from all the hardships the tough times and uh, they've made sure you you've grown up happily and uh, it's the least we can do to repay all the years of tender loving care that they have given us so in that sense it's a it's it's something that we we really didn't have to think about why we had to do it we knew we just had to do it and we were we were happy to be there for them there are lot of uh, you know barriers to caregiving i would say because you know children have to leave their parents go abroad uh, sometimes they are left alone here in the uh, elderly care home what kind of an attitude people should have towards the elderly it's a, it's a reality of today as people go abroad settle down there maybe they may not come back taking their elderly and fragile parents to hostile foreign countries may not be feasible for them as well so have you handled it you're a software engineer i i've seen in your bio that you're a software engineer so how did you right. approach this the um there there were some things that made it easier for me and uh, in the sense that uh, i was also traveling quite extensively during the during my initial uh, years of uh, being a software engineer uh, but uh, my sister had moved to bombay one brother was working on a ship and and another brother was uh, who was the primary caregiver eventually he was also traveling within the country for long periods of time and uh, my wife also had an elderly grandfather and a mother living with her so um, we decided at some point in time that at least one of us should be around uh, to take care of uh, our parents both sides uh, yeah. as they were growing older so it was it was a decision that we we didn't consciously take it in a day but it was something that was uh, in the back of the head the back of the mind all the time so uh, eventually we settled in chennai and i was also interested in uh, in moving work to india rather than constantly going abroad and doing work and i was also interested in doing something that was useful for indians in india the software can't be something that was always to be used for some uh, some some people in some far off country somewhere but it no also way. needed to be something that was useful for us indians as well so that 
feeling was also there so it was it was a logical conclusion that i would remain here but having said that i don't think we can blame people who have gone abroad um, following a career path because uh, we as a software engineer during the start of my career i also felt a lot of peer pressure to go abroad um my friends neighbors classmates were all going abroad and settling down and people will look at me and say what are you doing here aren't you a software engineer too why are you still in india so it was sometimes i could see people were thinking that there's something wrong with this guy because he is not traveling abroad maybe he is not good enough and that's why he is not traveling abroad so there was a lot of peer pressure even our parents in many cases were urging us to go abroad and once you go abroad and you get married and you have children and the children are uh, uh, starting to study in schools there and you've got a mortgage and all that it's very difficult to suddenly uproot yourself from a, a whole life that you've built there and come back yeah many times today the cost of living has uh, changed so dramatically that you can't uh, sell a house in many parts of the us use that money to buy a house and live comfortably in india because uh, the cost of a house uh, in the us is probably the same or uh, in many places much less than the cost of a house in india so mm-hmm. if you want to it's not like in those days where people said he went abroad and then he earned a lot of money came back and lived like a king here it doesn't happen anymore so then mm-hmm. how do you ask somebody or how do you how, how can we even expect somebody to approve themselves entirely from a life that they have built career that they have built over 20 years and come back it's non trivial it's uh, in many cases it's impossible if the children are studying there if they are born there they are culturally unsuitable to come back here similarly yes. taking taking your parents there is another can of worms you have uh, insurance issues and you have the gilded cage syndrome because Uh, if they go and live in a place that is outside the city and they can't drive they are at the mercy of their children to do even the basic stuff whereas here they have the independence there they are completely dependent on their children because they can't go out anywhere except walk around a couple of streets around the house maybe so it's difficult for uh, elders to go there and there are cases where uh, children have taken their parents uh, abroad and lived happily ever after and there are cases where uh people have moved back to india to look after their parents i'm not saying no but a lot of other things have to fall in place for that to happen and it's not possible for everybody to choose one or the other so essentially it happens that the parents age without too much of uh, support from their children having to rely on you know hired help and so on while the children uh, feel very guilty and suffer from depression and Uh, because of their inability to look after their parents uh, from far away so uh, i don't think we can uh, it's we can judge anybody for this because yeah. um, i think it's it's a difficult problem to solve unfortunately yes. we don't have uh, you know uh, either the private sector or the public sector uh, we don't have uh, clear solutions coming from them of late there are a few solutions coming up but for a large part over the last decade or so we haven't had too many uh, options other yeah. than for elders to look after themselves what about 
geriatric care when i was a journalist when i started my career about uh, 20 years back geriatric care was much talked about and it made sense because a lot of these people settled abroad can afford a geriatric facility for their parents uh, right. do you think that has developed and the, the statistics that you're giving is is pretty alarming i mean 1 1 million people who are bedridden that's what you're saying in the book right and a minuscule uh, portion of the population so uh, yes numbers are large in india because we are talking about uh, 130 crores yes yes but uh, so what what is your understanding of the geriatric centers and facilities uh, hospice care so do you think right. they are they are good it's uh, uh, palliative care hospices and uh, centers like that where people requiring support for their daily living activities uh, those kind of centers are still uh, at a very nascent stage in india uh, there are many of them were started by individuals who could not see the plight of people suffer, poor people poor yeah. old people suffering uh, being destitute and so on so many of these uh, organizations many of the palliative care centers are actually charity run centers uh, now the, the problem is that for the middle class and the upper middle class for people who can afford to pay and get those services there aren't that many organizations that provide the level of service that they expect uh, because uh, you know it is still Uh, very early days and uh, across india i think there are only about uh, 200 and odd uh, palliative centers most of these are uh, charity run palliative centers as for uh, retirement communities which are coming up most of them are uh, are for active senior citizens people who can look after themselves yeah at at best they are for they they will help you hire somebody to look after you to do the cleaning at home or to you know help you um, with your uh, toileting activities and so on but if somebody is uh, bedridden or has to be taken care 24 by 7 you would be hard pressed to find a, a good center uh, within the city uh, to take care of them at a level of uh, service that you would uh, you would want or expect uh, but they are coming up um, having said that it's difficult it is also true that we have in every major city organizations that are working to provide facilities for older people to come in check in and stay for uh, long periods and have all their uh, needs taken care of including those that you know gradually creep up on them meaning as they get older they need more and more support and these yeah. organizations will take care but nothing compares to having a son or a daughter or a son in law or a daughter in law or some near relative to look after yeah. you at home because then you know there is going to be a certain level of uh, love and care because professional care is still at the end of the day the professional care and uh, since india doesn't have a uh have a regulatory body uh that is uh, you know that is uh, overseeing and uh, 
looking at how these organizations are uh, performing it's very difficult and there are horror stories in some cases where there is neglect i know in one uh, uh, one elderly care home uh, a lady uh, fell down in the night and uh, they don't have these alarm bells and so on so she she broke her hip and she was found only uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning and somebody came uh, to wake her up and uh, ask her to have a bath so for uh. for 6 or 7 hours or something she was with a broken hip she was lying on the floor so okay. there oh, are cases like painful. that as well mm. so it's it's very difficult to find a good place that can be as good as uh, uh, the care of a near and dear one drawing example from your own personal case uh, i think the idea of one of the children or probably the spouse uh, staying back at home to care seems like a good model because if th- somebody is there to balance the home front and the care front i think it right. also gives the freedom for uh, professionals to sort of take care of themselves and also provide for the family right yeah so the, yeah. you think that so, that would be ideal that that even today that is the most workable solution that is the ideal solution provided you have a certain amount of financial uh, you have some savings you have some financial strength that will allow you to uh, do accomplish that for uh, as long as it takes but sometimes uh, these period uh, Uh, the the period of for convalescence the period of towards the end can be a protracted one and uh, if you are an earning member and if you have to balance your career and uh, caregiving at home that is extremely difficult but if you have one spouse doing that and the other is the earning member then yes it can be managed and uh, may, that's the most common scenario in india typically at what age do you think a person should start planning for themselves and for a possible elderly care i mean these things are not certain but uh, a little planning ahead won't hurt isn't it absolutely um, you have to plan the one part of it that is uh, the, the easiest part of it is your uh, financial plan right so yeah. you set aside Uh, a certain amount as savings for a rainy day and then you reconcile to what level of treatment that you will be able to afford so given your financial status so if you want uh, uh, if you want a kidney replacement and you want a charter flight to go somewhere and have your kidney replaced it's not going to happen uh, for everyone so you have to have a realistic understanding of what level of treatment you are likely to be able to afford and save for that but right. that's the easiest portion when you will fall sick what will be the nature of illness who will be around to help you how do i identify people who will be caregivers for me when and if i need it all that is very difficult to plan and unless and until uh, the situation arises is very difficult to uh plan ahead for these things so if you have a close knit uh, community if you have a close knit family uh, i think the, the only way to 
plan for this is to ensure that you keep all your near and dear relatives close by and hope that between all of you, uh, some of you may remain healthy and some of you may, may fall sick and uh, one will have to look after the other. So family ties, I think it is important to maintain close ties with family and uh, come to a certain understanding that you have to be there for each other. It could be family, it could be close-knit friends as well. But I think you, this is where we need our societal support. And uh, we, that's, that's about the only planning you can do. Otherwise, you don't know if it is dementia, onset of dementia, it's one issue. If it is Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, it's something else. If it's a stroke, it's a different kind of requirement. If it's a heart attack, it's a different kind of requirement. So you never know what will hit you when. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't plan. You can't plan for all contingencies like this. The only sure thing is you're going to age, and there will be certain issues that come with age. So you could, for example, think of moving into a retirement community where all the things are taken care of. But I know cases where people have moved to the retirement community, and once one of the spouses falls sick, they move back to their house to be close to their children because uh, the retirement community is. Uh, not yet ready to take care of somebody who is not fully uh, mobile. Right. How do you reconcile the fact that a person who was a very active, probably a very integral part of your life is, is now not responding or probably not even conscious? How much of a bearing or an effect it has on uh, the person who is giving care and how should they take care of themselves? Because one of the problems that we face today is that we almost take the caregivers for granted. It's as if right. like, you know, the caregivers will always be healthy the, and, and the, the receivers of the care will always be bedridden. But that's not the case. So how should you think that uh, people who are caring for their elders should take care of themselves mentally and psychologically? Yeah, this is a, a very uh, important part of uh, caregiving. And I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's imperative that the primary caregiver uh, looks after themselves. It's like on the plane, they, they tell you, you know, uh, before, if, if there is a cabin, depressurization of the cabin, you first put on the oxygen mask yourself before you help anybody else. Yeah. You have, it's like that. You have to look after yourself. You have to be in the right frame of mind in order to be an effective caregiver. So yes, the need of the care recipient seems to be very large and much larger than yours. However, you cannot be a capable and effective caregiver if you are not looking after yourself first. So, uh, and when we talk about looking after yourself, it is about physical health, and like you mentioned rightly, it's about mental health as well. That's why I've dedicated uh, one chapter to uh, self-care for the caregiver. You need to find ways to have me time. You need to find ways to continue to do things that you love to do before you became a full-time caregiver. You need, if you like going for movies, you should figure out and find a way by which you can go for movies without feeling guilty. 
and for that to happen you need to consciously build a support system for you many times what happens is the caregiver doesn't have the confidence that other people will provide the same level of care as they do so they tend not to allow anybody else to take part in the caregiving what this does is this prevents them from doing anything else at all and on days that they fall sick everything breaks down yeah so instead of that proactively each caregiver must build a support system and train people within their family and friend circle to do multiple tasks that are required as part of the caregiving process so if you are able to do that you are actually like in a corporate setup you are building redundancy so if i am not here somebody else can cook somebody else can feed somebody else can do the hygiene management somebody else can sit down and talk with the patient somebody else can sit down and uh, do whatever else it takes to look after hired help there is there is always somebody who knows how to do more than one person who knows how to do every aspect how to perform every aspect of the caregiving process so that at any given time i can take off so i can tell myself thursday afternoons are me time i'm either going to snooze or i'm going to go to a friend's place or i'm going to go and play badminton or i'm going to have a kitty party or i'm going to attend a movie or a show or whatever and i don't feel guilty about it because i know my mother or father or whoever is a care recipient is in good hands and there'll be somebody taking care of it i'm i'm not the sole person responsible for everything that happens if you can't take care of yourself and you are the primary caregiver then uh, sooner or later you are going to end up uh, having a lot of difficulty looking after yourself as well as your loved one before we sign off i just uh, would like you to just mention the name of your book ah, for the benefit of listeners sure uh, the book is called the home stretch a family caregivers handbook and it's published by penguin